Thank you for listening. Visit www.cityhillglobal.com to find out more about City Hill Church. Okay, we're continuing our series on prayer this morning. Can I ask you just to grab hold of your Bibles, whether that's on your phone, your tablet, or you've got the real Bible with you, and just turn to John 17. That's John 17, verses 8 to 20. We're going to read from verse 8 to 20, okay? It will be on the screen as well, just in case you forgot your Bible. It says this, For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not sorry, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Okay. In the end of December, early January, end of December, Hannah and I are going to be traveling. We're going away. And we're not able to take Hope, our daughter, with us to the place that we are going to. Okay. Now that's quite a big thing for us because in the last three years that we've had Hope in our lives, she's been with us literally every day. Every day. Your parents know what that's like. And while she's been with us, we have looked after her to the best of our ability. We've protected her. We've kept her safe. We've guarded her. We've shielded her. And we're well aware that if we go away for any length of time and leave her alone, it's very likely, in fact, it's pretty much guaranteed that some harm would come to her, okay? And so when we go away, when we travel, we are going to entrust hope into the capable and caring hands of her grandparents in the UK. And they're going to continue the work that we have begun in taking care of her, protecting her, guarding her, and keeping her safe, we hope. Now, in this chapter, in this verse rather, Jesus is about to go away. A very similar thing is happening. He's about to leave. He's saying to his father, I'm no longer going to be of this world. I am now coming to you. His moment has arrived. His hour has dawned. He's going to the cross. 
and he is going to be leaving the world. And he is going to be leaving the disciples that he has had with him for three years on their own in the world. That's a big thing. Because while he has been with them physically, he has protected them. It says he's guarded them. He's looked after them. He's shielded them. He's made sure that none have been lost. He says only one was lost, the son of destruction. He's talking there about Judas because Judas, it was foretold, would betray him. And Jesus says that had to happen in order for me to come to the cross. That was prophesied. But nobody else, he said, was lost at all. And now, Father, I'm coming to you and I'm going to be leaving them in the world. And so Jesus is entrusting his disciples, his present disciples on the earth and his future disciples, his future followers, the church, that's us, into the loving, caring and capable hands of his father so that they will be protected, so that they would be looked after. Now, the reason he is doing that is down there in verse 14. Just have a look at that with me a second. Verse 14, it says this, I have given them your word, and the world, sorry, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. He says this twice. He says it again in verse 16. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Now, I want to ask you a question, okay, right at the beginning of this talk. And I want you to be honest. I want you to put your hand up. And this may be the first time that you have ever admitted this in public to anybody, okay? Now, hands up if you are not from the planet Earth. Just put your hand up really quickly. Yeah, there's a couple of you. <laughs> Actually, some of you are expected to do it. Now, for those of you who put your hand up, we want to pray with you because there's some deep issues there. <laughs> They clearly need to be ministered into. But for the rest of you, when John, the gospel writer here, says they are not from this world, when Jesus says that, when John writes it, he's not talking about this physical earth. He is not saying for one minute that Jesus' disciples or the church would be made up of people from another planet. Okay? Now, some of you wives are thinking, oh, I thought you were about to help me understand my husband there for a second. But unfortunately not. Now, what he means is this. In John's gospel, when he says world, he's not just talking about this physical world that we live in, that we were born in, that we live in, and that we will die in. He is talking about another kingdom altogether. He's talking about a sphere, a kingdom, or a system of darkness that has turned its back on God and in rebellion set its face against God. He's talking about the kingdom that we have been taken out of and brought into the kingdom of light. Fusi and Frank talked about this in detail a few weeks ago. In Matthew 4.16, the gospel writer quotes the prophet Isaiah from the Old Testament, and he describes those who live in this world, this dark system, as those who are living in, it says, the people living in darkness, those living in the land of the shadow of death. You see, all those who are in the world, as John describes it, are those who are not in the kingdom of God. They are those, as Isaiah and Matthew say, are living in darkness. They've not accepted the truth. They've not accepted the light. Jesus says, 
on the other hand, that his disciples had received the word that the Father had given him to bring. They had received truth. They had seen the light. And so that means that they had been transformed, transferred rather, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. What that means is they are no longer a part of this world that we see around us. If you are a Christian today, if you are a disciple of Jesus, what that means is you have been snatched, you've been taken out of the kingdom of darkness, out of this dark world, that system that opposes God, and you have been transferred into the kingdom of light. And you, therefore, are no longer a part of this world. Jesus was not a part of the kingdom of darkness. And that's why he says, I am not a part of this world. And that's why he says of his followers, they also are not a part of this world. And that's important to understand. Because this creates an ambiguity, okay? Because what it means is, we as Christ's followers, we as disciples, would now have to live in a world that really we do not belong to. And that's why Jesus prays his prayer of protection, because he is well aware that when he leaves, he will believe, believe in his disciples and the future church, that's us, to live in, minister to, and love a world that is not really our world, a world that we really do not belong to. Do you know that this morning? Yeah? And that's why he prays this prayer, because we would have to live in this place of ambiguity. Are you with me so far? If you're not, just talk to the person next to you. Just say to him, look, help me out here. Who are the aliens that he's talking about, okay? And they'll help you out. Now, the fact that we're going to be living in this place of ambiguity, living in and ministering to a world that we do not belong to, means that we as a people of God, we as the disciples of Jesus, have a dual responsibility when it comes to the world out there, when it comes to the world that we live in. And that's what I want to talk about in detail this morning. I want us to look at this dual responsibility that we as Christians have in respect to the world in which we live, the world that we are not really belonging to. And there's two things that we're going to look at. The first responsibility is that we are to keep ourselves as Christians from being contaminated by the world. We live in this world, we're not from the world, but we're not to be contaminated by the world and its system that we've been snatched out of. Secondly, we are to go into that world to continue Jesus' mission. Now, they may seem contradictory, but they're not. And we're going to look at why, and we're going to look at how it is that we as Christians, that we as City Hill, cannot be contaminated by this world, but at the same time go into this world and see it transformed for Jesus. See, what this means for us as a church and what this means for us as a people, and this is what I want you just to grab a hold of a second, is this. Neither conformity nor withdrawal are an option for us. I'll just say that again. As a people of God, conformity nor withdrawal are an option for us as a people of God. Let's look at the first one. Conformity is not an option. We are not to be contaminated by the world. We have to keep ourselves from being contaminated. Now, if you read scripture, and I hope you have, one of the big themes throughout scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, is this theme of being set apart, of not conforming to the world, of being different. And we see it again and again and again. Let me give you one example from the Old Testament. If you were to read the book of Leviticus, chapter 11, 45, God says to the people of Israel, 
I am holy. Sorry, I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, this word holy doesn't just mean being pious, okay? Have you heard the phrase, you're, you're holier than thou? You think you're so much better than everybody else. That's not what this means. I see some of you have used that, eh? That's not what this means. Holy actually means to be set apart. It means to be different. It means to be otherly. So when God took the people of Israel out of Egypt, what he was doing was he was rescuing them from a dark system, from a world of darkness, okay? And he brought them out of Egypt. Egypt represents the world, as John describes it. He brought them out of Egypt, took them out of the kingdom of Egypt, where Pharaoh was king, and they created a new society, a new culture, and a new kingdom. A society where God would be king, okay? And what God is now saying, he's saying this to them, you're not in Egypt anymore. I rescued you from Egypt. You're not in that world anymore, so now you have to be different. You have to be holy, different. Be holy, be different, because why? Because I, your God, am different. You don't do things Pharaoh's way anymore. You do things my way now because I am your God. The theme continues throughout the New Testament. It says this in 1 Peter 1, 15 to 16. This is Peter speaking. But as he who called you is holy, you also be, what? Holy. In all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. We could substitute there holy with different. You are to be different. Because why? Because I am different. That theme of being different runs throughout Scripture. God is calling to himself a people that would be unique, otherly, set apart, and completely and utterly his. You see, when the world looks at us, when the world looks at you in your workplace, when it looks at us, at us as a church, it is meant to see something completely different. In fact, what it is meant to see is a reflection of who God is. When the world looks at you, when the world looks at me, when it looks at us, it is to see the truth of who God is. If we are different as God is different, if he is our king, we will display to the world who God is. If we blend in, we will not. We will just fit in. So what does conformity look like? What does it look like? What is conformity? I think conformity looks like any area of our life, our conduct, our decision-making, our attitudes, our character, where we reflect the world more than we reflect God. Any area in our lives where we look more like the world than we do God. Does that make sense? Is anywhere in our lives, any area of our lives, our work, whatever it might be, our relationships, where our allegiance is to the world and not to God? So my question is, what does conformity look like in your life? Is there any right now? Are there areas in your life where you know you are conforming to the pattern of the world, as Paul puts it in Romans, and not standing out as being different? See, if you don't know, I guarantee that someone close to you, your partner, your husband or wife, would probably know. But if you don't know, you can ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, 
tell me, where am I conforming right now to the pattern of the world? You see, it could be in dishonesty. It could be that in your workplace, you lie to customers or you inflate figures or results because why? Well, that's just how your business do it. And that's how your colleagues do it. That's how the world around you does it. And so you do that as well. That's just the way it is. You're conforming to the pattern of the world rather than standing out and being different. It could be materialism and lifestyle. You might look around at everybody else around you, look at the car they drive, the house they live in, the kids they have, the holidays they go on, and think, you know what? I want to be like them. I want all of that. And so you spend your life, you literally pour out your life, your energy, making as much money as you can, using credit cards, whatever it might be, to have what they have. So you look like the people around you. It could be materialism. It could be relationships. Particularly when you're young and you begin to see other people around you. Everyone's got a boyfriend or a girlfriend or they're getting married. And you begin to think, okay, I'll compromise in order for me to be like them, to get on. Conformity can look like any area of our lives where we look more like the world than we do look like God. Hope has got a many favorite TV shows. One of them that she had was a TV show called uh, Treehouse Detectives. It's about these little teddy bears that are detectives. It's quite good. Now, you will know that if you have kids, you'll end up watching the same episodes of the same TV shows over and over and over again. Am I right? Yeah, and those of you who don't have kids yet, you'll know what that's like in the future. Now, there's one particular episode where, I mean, we've watched it a million times because she loves it. There's this little chameleon, okay? You know the chameleon, the lizard? Chameleons change color, and she loves that lizard. She loves this chameleon. And the characters on this, on this TV show meet this chameleon. He's very scared. He's hiding away from them. And they end up eventually painting this, these squares on the floor, different colors. And when the chameleon jumps on the red one, guess what? He becomes red. When he jumps on the blue one, what does he become? Blue, you're with me, great. Green one, green, so on and so forth. And he does that in order to blend in because he's scared of being seen. He's scared of standing out. And that's what conformity is really like. It's looking at the world and thinking, I want to be this way so that I do not stand out. Maybe it's fear, whatever it might be. The implications are big, though. You see, if we conform, if we are like chameleons and we blend in, Firstly, we fail to image God to the world around us. The city that needs to see something different doesn't see something different when they look at you or they look at us. But we're called to be different so that they see God in us. Secondly, once you start acting like a chameleon, once you start conforming, it doesn't take long, maybe a few years before you look at your life and you realize, wow, I look more like my neighbor than I do God or my Christian friends around me. You see, it's not overnight that you change completely like the chameleon. It's one little thing at a time until eventually you realize, I have conformed. The second thing that is not an option for us is withdrawal. Now, the reality is we are a sent people. We have to keep ourselves away from being contaminated, but also we are sent into the world. Now, those of you here today who have read this passage might have thought this, why didn't Jesus just take the disciples with him, right? He comes to the Father and he says, I'm about to leave them, but I don't want them slipping back into the patterns of this world. I don't want them conforming to the world. I'm coming and I'm going to bring them along with me, bring the big car to the airport, there's going to be a few of us. 
Okay, but he doesn't say that, does he? In fact, he says this. First of all, in verse 5, he says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Instead of taking them, he says, actually, I'm not going to ask you to take them. I want you to leave them here. Secondly, in verse 18, he says, as you sent me into the world, I am sending them. Leave them here, and I'm going to send them on the same mission that you sent me on. And thirdly, in verse 20, he says this, which helps us understand why. I do not ask for those only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. You see, Jesus is thinking there about all the people in the world and all those in this city that do not know him yet, but would come to know him through his followers and the example and the word and the testimony of his followers in the future. And so Jesus says, I'm leaving them here, and they are going to be a sent people. So withdrawal from the world is not an option for us as a church. Are you with me? Now, I want to pick up something from there that's quite important. What that verse, that second one tells us, is that our mission to the world, our mission to this city, should resemble Christ's mission to the world. He says, as you sent me, so I am sending them. What does that mean? You see, Christ's mission to the world was not an aloof mission. He didn't withdraw. He didn't stay back. It was an incarnational mission. He came, didn't he? He saw the blackness, the darkness. He saw the destruction, the decay, the difficulties, the hardships, the hurt, the pain. And he got right down and he walked the same roads that we walked. And he felt the pain we felt. He was on an incarnational mission. And in the same way, we are called to be on exactly the same kind of mission. Incarnation. Getting involved. Getting right into the city. Right into the world. Not withdrawing, but going into the darkest places. Dubai, I don't know if you've noticed this, but Dubai is a very surface-level culture, isn't it? But God is not a surface-level God. God is a deep-down, behind-the-surface, behind-the-scenes kind of God. Now, it's easy in Dubai to look at someone's Instagram feed and decide that they have it all together. Am I right? You can look at someone's Instagram feed and you can think, wow, they're doing really well. I know how you're doing because I've seen your Instagram. You're doing amazingly. The vacations you go on are out of this world. The job you have is incredible. Your house is beautiful. You have it all together. And in Dubai, we can do the same thing. We can look at someone's life and think, you have it all together. Because in a city like Dubai, people only let you see what they want you to see, right? They only want you to see what they want you to see. And we can go through life in a city like this. We can go through life as a church, assuming that everything's good, assuming that people have got it together, and never really going deep with people, never really walking the painful roads that they're really walking. Because we assume after looking at their Instagram feed, that everything is good. I wonder today if you're putting on the same kind of facade to those around you. Now, people in Dubai will often tell you that they have great friends, friends that they have a lot of fun with, they go on vacation with, they have barbecues with, until something goes wrong, until life gets tough, and then their friends are not so great after all, right? Because people don't want to walk your difficult road with you. And what Jesus is saying here is, that's not who we are called to be. Who we are called to be is like Christ. We are called to get down, dirty, get our hands dirty, understand what's going on behind the scenes, and walk the painful roads that this city is walking, and heal the hurts of the people here. That's an incarnational 
mission. And to do that, we cannot withdraw. You see, if you were to scratch below the surface of people's lives, you would realize that many are in debt, many marriages are failing, many people are in pain, many people are hurting, and they are looking for people like us to walk with them in that pain. Amen? Look, next time you see a perfect Instagram feed, let me ask you to do something. Don't like the posts, just pray for them. Send them a message and say, hey, how are you really doing? And they'll think you're really prophetic. They'll be like, how do they know How do they know things are not so good? Why? That's what Instagram's for, is to hide the ugly. We are not to be contaminated by the world, but we are not to withdraw from the world either. These are the two pitfalls that the Father prays that he would protect us. Sorry, Jesus prays the Father would protect us from. That we would not become like the culture. That is not an option and that we would not withdraw from the culture. That is not an option either. So, how is it that we are to live this life in this city where we are not contaminated, but also we get down into the real grit of the city? How do we do it? The answer is Jesus. Amen? The answer is Jesus. Verse 19 says this, For their sake I consecrate myself, that they may also be sanctified in truth. I want to unpack this and just explain it um, in this last section, okay? To consecrate yourself means to solely, or to set yourself apart solely for a task, okay? It's setting yourself apart to do something specific. You neglect everything else, and you give yourself solely and ultimately to something that you have to do. See, Jesus dedicated himself and consecrated himself for the mission that he had been called to. He went to the cross, and he followed through with his mission. Now, let me unpack it slightly more. In the Old Testament, in the temple, you had a place called the Holy of Holies, right in the center, and that's where the presence of God dwelt. And only one person could go into the presence of God. Do you know who that was? It was the high priest. Now, the high priest was just a man, and he was sinful. And so in order for once a year to go into the Holy of Holies, to come into the presence of God, he had to go through ceremonies of cleansing and consecration so that he could be set apart to go into the presence of God and meet with the Holy God. And the point of doing that was so that he could, as the consecrated one, as the one set apart, represent the people to God. You see, the people were sinful. They could not come into the presence of God because you cannot bring sin into the presence of a holy God. And so this nation that was sinful, once a year, the high priest would be consecrated, set apart. He would come into the presence of God and he would stand in the gap. He would represent the nation and he would come before God in prayer and he would pray for the people and he would make atonement for their sin. He would put right their wrongs before God. They needed a representative, a representative, and he would be their representative. Now, what Jesus is saying here is that I am this representative. See, this prayer that Jesus prays is called the high priestly prayer. And what Jesus is doing here is he is taking on the role of high priest for us. He is standing in the gap for us and coming before Father God on our behalf to ask for our protection. And the fact is, Jesus hasn't got to go through these ceremonial cleansings because he has always been holy. 
He has always been sinless. He has always been consecrated. And so he is able to come before Father God on our behalf, represent us, stand in the gap, be our great high priest, and pray for us to the Father on our behalf that we would be protected so that we would be able to live the life in this city and in this world that we are called to live. And here's the good news this morning. If we skip forward to Hebrews, in Hebrews 4.14, it tells us that Jesus is eternally our great high priest, that he is eternally representing us, standing in the gap for us before the Father. I want to read it. It says this, Hebrews 4.14, since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. How do we live in this world without conforming, but also by being incarnational and going right into it? How do we do it? We do it because Jesus eternally stands before the Father and intercedes on our behalf. Even right now, he is praying for us, interceding for us, and he will do so eternally. You see, when you feel like you're being pulled back into the world, In relationships, in your workplace, in business, you feel like you are compromising. You feel like you are conforming. Hebrews tells us that we can come boldly, confidently before the throne of grace, knowing that Jesus is our great high priest, but not a high priest that doesn't understand us, a high priest that was tempted like you to compromise in every single way. And because of Jesus and because of his sacrifice, because he is our great high priest, we do not come before a throne of condemnation or judgment. We come before a throne of grace to find help when we need it in our time of temptation. Isn't that good news? When we feel like we want to withdraw from the world because we can't walk those roads, when we feel like as a church we want to hide ourselves away out of fear of man, The good news is here that we can come before Father God because of Jesus and receive boldness and confidence to be the people that he has called us to be in this city. Isn't that good news? How do we live in this world? How are we to do it? Because of Jesus. Because he consecrated himself. He went to the cross. He died on our behalf. He became our great high priest. And he has made a way for us to come before the Father confidently and find our help in time of need. Who is it that needs protection the most? Who is it that needs protection the most? Is it those who hide themselves away, who shield themselves from the world out of self-protection? No. It's those who go on the front line who go into the world, who go into battle. We can confidently go to the world, City Hill, because we know this morning that we have a Father who has our back. We don't have to protect ourselves. He is our protection. And so that's why, in closing, prayer is so powerful and so critical to a people on a mission like us. 
Because when we are struggling, when we feel we are compromising, when we feel we are withdrawing in fear, in prayer, we can come before a God who has our back, who understands us, and will be there to help us by his spirit. To be on mission in this world, to be the people that God has called us to be, is impossible without a lifestyle of prayer. And Jesus has made that intimate lifestyle of prayer with the Father possible. Amen? Let's stand. I want us to pray as we close now. We're going to go back into worship in just a second. And as we worship, it'll be a time for us to reflect and come before God. But as we pray, I want us to come before God right now. And I want to pray for four people, four types of people in particular. And I believe that you'll probably find yourself, I know I will, in one of these types of people, okay? The first is this. And as I read these, just bring yourself before God and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Is this you? I want to pray for those who know right now that in certain areas of their lives, they have been conforming to the patterns of the world. You can feel yourself blending in in certain situations, and you have been struggling to keep yourself from conforming. If that's you, bring yourself before God right now. Bring yourself before God right now. Secondly, those who know that God has been bringing people, the lost, your neighbors, the hurting, the struggling, across your path, but you've not felt bold enough to really get into their lives, get below the surface and understand what they are going through and walk with them through it. If that's you, I believe that God wants to give you the boldness and the confidence to be an incarnational witness today. Thirdly, I want us to pray for those of you who want more divine appointments. You want God to bring people across your path that you can be a witness to and that you can lead to him. And fourthly, I want to pray for us as a church that we would not withdraw, that we would not hide away, but we would know the confidence and the protection of the Father as we go into this city as a witness for him. Close your eyes. Just come before God. Pray this with me, okay? Father God, we thank you this morning that we now have access to you. Our Father our protector through Jesus, our great high priest. I pray that today you would highlight any area in my life where I have conformed, where I have compromised. I ask that you would forgive me for that. I ask that today you would give me the strength to stand out, to not conform, and to be the man or woman that you have called me to be in this city. I pray that like Jesus, I would be prepared to go into the dark places of this city to be a light to those who are lost, hurting, broken, and confused. Father God, put these people across my path and give me the boldness and the grace I need to walk their road with them. We pray, Father, that you would protect us as a people from conforming and from withdrawing as we live our lives in this city. Make us a people of prayer as we look to influence and engage with this city in a way that leaves us, sorry, leaves the city transformed and us unchanged. We know that we can only do this in your strength and by the power of your spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. Visit www.cityhillglobal.com to find out more about City Hill Church.